Thank you, Nick, for leading us today. So in elementary school, you go through this stage, I think most everybody goes through it, where you have favorites. Like everything, you gotta have a favorite. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite place? What's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? I thought about that particularly because the passage that we're gonna look at today is absolutely one of my favorites. Uh, It speaks powerfully to us. And although it's one of those that you might have heard before, likely many in the room, you've heard Isaiah 6, where we will be today, you've heard it before. There's something about it that going back to it has a way of speaking freshly again and again and again. So I, I do believe if you will listen carefully, I think you're going to hear God speak to you maybe open your eyes to some new things. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, and uh, Deb's going to come and read those verses for us, and then keep your Bibles open as we'll dig into God's Word today. Deb, come read for us, Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year of King Uzziah, oh sorry, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his ham, hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. This scene is an intense one, and I think my prayer today is that you see the intensity of it, so I do want to be bold. But this scene also is one that humbles, so I think there's like an appropriate level whenever you read or think about this that you have a certain level of humility when you come to this passage. I know there are moments where, so Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. I know there are moments where, whether it through reading scripture or listening to it, or listening to some music, or hearing God's Word read or, or preached. There's times where you get a glimpse of the Lord, and that begins to shape you, and that's what I want this passage to do. That's what I've been praying all week, that this passage would really press on us. The last thing we need to do with a passage like this is think of 14 main points and 35 subpoints and that sort of thing, and chop it all up and hack it up into pieces. I think the vision that Isaiah saw just needs to rest on us. And this is one of those passages where you kind of, if you understand, you have to watch with your ears open. So it, it involves you seeing things, but you're seeing them as you hear them. And so the Lord will, will show us some things about himself if we pay attention. And I, I do want you to just soak up the details of even the word choice that is found in Isaiah and the entire scene can speak to us. 
Can we go back to verse 1 again and really get a, a glimpse of this vision? It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You see, it's the year that King Uzziah died, and we don't have an unlimited amount of time to get back into all the history of this King Uzziah, but he's, his history is recorded in Scripture, and it's actually a very spiritually tragic story because he had walked with God for a while, but then his heart got lifted up. He got proud. And because of that, he like lifted himself up uh, even against the Lord, and the Lord had to judge him. And so this isn't just a random king that gets picked out in the year he died. This is a particular king that had a, a pretty tragic ending to his life. And not to mention, but in, a, in a ancient times when a king would die, that would just immediately, like dominoes start falling, it would mean the country was maybe significantly less secure. Uh, invading armies would seize on that. Oh, there's, there's maybe in political instability, and it would be a ripe time for an enemy army to come invade. So in the year that King Uzziah died, this is, this is significant. Something happened to Isaiah. That's when he saw this vision. And he, he sees a vision of someone on the throne. So we know he's seeing a king. And notice the contrast. One king dies, but there's another king that is very much alive and ruling. He sees this king high and lifted up. These kinds of words are only used about God in Scripture. That He is high and lifted up. If rank helps you, you know, He has that kind of dimension of authority. We, we all know what it's like to be around an important person when they walk in the room or we walk by them or we notice them. You go, you kind of point out, oh, there's so-and-so. That's a significant person. And sometimes we act, we don't even know how to act when we're around someone that's significant. But this is not just any person. This is the Lord high and lifted up that Isaiah sees. He's not only high, he's seated on a throne. He has power and authority. And it says that the train of his robe, so imagine he's wearing a robe, that train, the very edge of that robe fills the temple, which is significant. So it actually comes down to earth and fills the temple in Isaiah's vision. So it's not as if God is just out there like maybe five galaxies away and no one can really deal with him because he's so far out there. It's actually the picture that Isaiah sees is God is very much close to this earth. The train fills the temple and interestingly, it fills the temple. I mean, it could have filled many places, but Isaiah sees it filling the temple. And the temple is this place of sacrifice, this place where relationship is restored, this place of cleansing, this place of worship. That is where the Lord chooses to fill that place with His robe. So we kind of begin to alternate kind of our, our picture, and we, we begin to really see, okay, Isaiah is seeing something special. I don't know that he had multiple of these visions. It's not like every, every Tuesday he saw the Lord high. It, it says that he saw it. It just tells us once that he saw it. But this is the kind of vision when you see this, it's going to change you. It's going to change who you are from the inside out. I don't think Isaiah was ever the same. As a matter of fact, the rest of the book of Isaiah, he's talking about this Lord that's holy and high and lifted up. So it's interesting how this shapes him. It's not a static image. So however you picture this, you need to picture movement. It's not just like one snapshot and we got it forever frozen in time. In verse 2, it says, above him stood the seraphim, which literally mean the burning ones. We know, we know they're, they're an, an angel, a type of angel, but, 
but it's an intense kind of angel. Each has six wings. With two, he covered his face. Two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. He flew. So there's, Nick read the passage a moment ago. In heaven, there are numerous angels, but here we're not sure how many. We just know they are flying. There is, there's something in movement, in motion, and they're, they're burning. It says in verse 3, one calls to the other and says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then another one's going to answer, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There's so much that we we can say, but actually I, I, I kind of want to dial our ears into listening, not to what you have to say, what I have to say about it, but let's listen to what the seraphim are saying. And what they're saying repeatedly, back and forth to each other, is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. There's this interesting kind of construction in Hebrew in the original language that Isaiah wrote, and this was recorded. If you want to say something in Hebrew that is like really good, you say, it's good, good. If you want to say something, you know, really beautiful, you, it's beautiful, beautiful. If you want to say gold is like really valuable, you would say it's gold, gold. But we don't just have two holies here. So it would be one way of saying God is like really holy. But actually you have something that's not repeated anywhere else in Hebrew Scripture. You get it said three times that the Lord is holy. So it's not just that like we can be holy, but he's really holy. It's not like that. It's just categorically his holiness is different than us. And we know that. We should know that. We should know that the infinite worth of who he is, the weightiness of who God is, the power, the authority, the perfections that he has, all of that is just categorically different. He's not just the, the best one of people like us. He is altogether different He's holy, holy, holy. And every second of every day, that recognition of God is happening as it should be. Every second of every day, that recognition of this God is happening. But I love that it says, not only is he holy, but the whole earth it's just filled with his glory. So this week I was meeting a friend over in New Jersey and went over the Delaware Memorial Bridge and you get perspective. Uh, you can see like, you can see out from a distance and you can begin to see cities and you begin to see space in multiple states and in ways you can't see if you're in, in a parking lot somewhere. And as I looked out, what I could see is this part of the earth filled with the Lord's glory. But then you can walk on a trail and you have the deer and the squirrels and, and, and everything that's part of that trail, the, the, the trees with the leaves falling. The earth is filled with the Lord's glory. But then you could hear a baby say her first words or take his first steps. And you know the earth is filled with his glory. Maybe after after meeting together today as a church family, you will gather with friends and, and eat together with them. And maybe as you embrace saying goodbye, that will be a sign that the earth is filled with God's glory because he's made 7 billion image bearers that are reflecting his glory. The whole earth is filled with his glory. 
when I think of medicine, when I think of cleaning and, and banking and teaching and caring for kids and science, and we could go on and on and on, we recognize that God has given all these capacities to show that He is filling this world with His glory. That's the picture we're meant to see. We're right in the middle of a commercialized season where you know, collectively as a culture, it's fun and we kind of lose our mind. And even in the midst of that, the earth is filled with his glory. This is who God is. And that recognition of him just goes on nonstop. So whenever we stop worshiping, that doesn't mean worship stops. Whenever we stop singing, that doesn't mean that worship stops. When our service ends, that doesn't mean worship stops. When we go to sleep, that doesn't mean worship stops. It goes on and on and on and on. I, I love verse 4 because when these angelic voices speak, it says the foundations of the threshold shook. It's like a, is it a mini earthquake that Isaiah feels? It shakes at the voice of him who called and the, the house is filled with smoke. Do you, when I, when I read this again, it was one of the, it just really struck me. I, I don't know that I'd seen before how many senses are involved in Isaiah 6. It's just like sensory overload as you get this picture. So he sees the Lord. He sees the throne. He sees the seraphim. The seraphim are the burning ones. And anytime something is burning, generally you're going to smell it. And, and then he hears the voice, one calling out to the other. And then he feels beneath his feet like something rumbling, something shaking. What would this have felt like? You've been in those instances. I've been in those instances where it's just sensory overload. It is like pressing in on you. And like it is, it's kind of popping some circuits where you, you don't even know what to think. You feel exhilarated, maybe nervous, anxious. You've never seen, never experienced something quite like this. And that is what's going on. What does a vision like this do? So if you go to a mechanic or you go to a doctor, often some of their first steps of helping you, treating you, helping your vehicle will be to run a diagnostic test to see, is everything working the way it should? Are there any areas that are not working well? I find that this vision of the Lord has that same capacity to be a diagnostic test for us, our spiritual heart. And by heart, I mean like our values, our priorities, what guides our life, what we think matters. It's like a vision like this begins to diagnose what's going on in our heart. And, and I have to say, if your heart, how you're wired, your desires, if you're not moved by this very much, I do have to wonder, it should give you some pause if you claim, if you claim to have a relationship with God and this vision of Him, like, hmm, anything else in here? If it doesn't do something, I, I do have to wonder, like, what is going on in your heart? Shouldn't you be moved by this? Doesn't it do something for us? And, and before you even think too deeply about it, can we think about what's going on in Isaiah's mind? Because as he is taking this scene in, it could move Isaiah in a few different directions. You could probably think of many different directions it could move. But one place it could move Isaiah, if he's taking in this awesome vision of the Lord, one place it could take him is that he thinks, my life as I know it is just absolutely done. As a matter of fact, when people got glimpses of God like this in the Old Testament, they often thought they would be dead. 
Game, set, match, it's over. There, there's no more. Because I, I've seen the Lord, holy and lifted up. So that's one path Isaiah could have experienced this. Another, another way this could go is Isaiah sees it and processes it all, but just chalks it up to mm, big illusion, you know, just kind of a dream, few thoughts. Not really the truth. Maybe in the category of sci-fi, fantasy, alien abductions. Just different, you know, movements and not for real. You can enjoy some of the computer-generated graphics and some of the intensity, but you'll learn a lesson or two from this story. Isaiah could take it that way. Or he could take it the way he did, and that is to recognize that things are very real and they're very serious. Very real. Very serious. So what will Isaiah say? Because he's not spoken yet in Isaiah 6 yet. But verse 5, he does speak. The first word out of his mouth is, woe is me. I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. His first words are, woe is me, I am lost. There's no minimization like, yeah, I'm really not that bad. I do the best I can. None of that. There's no rationalization. You'd have a hard time doing right all the time if you knew what I had to, none of that, none of that. There's no favorable comparison he makes, like I'm 75% better than most people in this, none of that. There's no Photoshop or manipulation of his image of himself. There's none of that going on. No filter will help this. The answer isn't even that Isaiah just you know, has some self-esteem issues he needs to work through. As he says, woe is me, for I'm lost. I, I'm, I'm unclean. This is, this is not what's going on. This is not where it goes for Isaiah. Actually, where it goes, when he sees the king, his perspective makes all the difference. And it will for you. It will for you as well. When you see the king for who he is, when you see this vision of God high and lifted up, and whatever else we gave our attention to yesterday or the day before that we thought was like super, super important, when you see this, you just begin to realize things are not okay in my own life. Things are not okay in this world that I live in. Things are not okay if you've just seen a holy God. It's interesting to me that in Luke chapter 5, there's this story of Jesus doing a miracle where he allows his disciples to catch this uh, miraculous catch of fish. Like this isn't, humanly, there's no explanation for it. And when this happens, what Peter says to Jesus is, you just need to depart from me because I'm a sinful man. It's like the same thing that Isaiah is feeling. Like, woe is me. You, you just like, <laughs> you need to go because I am a sinful person. And he says, I, I have unclean lips and I dwell among people. And like, we think the sin of our lips, like that's just a small thing. Like there are many worse things we could imagine or do other than just sin with our lips. And Isaiah says, even that means I'm just unclean. Surprisingly, when Isaiah confesses who he is, I say surprisingly to us, because we think that's going to be, like, that's the last thing I want to do is admit my faults. He receives real help in the time of trouble. 
the time of reality here in verse 6, it says, then one of the seraphim flew to me. So you've got to get this picture, right? So he kind of had this big gap between the Lord high and lifted up and Isaiah down here saying, I'm unclean. But now it begins to come together, doesn't it? You've, you've, you've got to see this. And he had in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. And your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. That scene is so important. As this scene is developing, it's so important. And there's so much going on, packed with meaning here. The seraphim who are all around God's throne take a burning coal. And, and I think it's certainly because it's, it's hot, uses tongs. But it's also because it's holy. This is sacred space around the altar of God. And takes that. And, and they touch Isaiah's lips the very thing he said, this is unclean. And, and notice the picture right there at the point of his recognition of his not being clean before God. That's exactly what is touched. That is exactly what is touched for Isaiah. And then there is this pronouncement that God makes through the seraphim. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. God ushers in this new reality. And I don't know why it should surprise us, but it does. It kind of takes us back sometimes that this is the nature of the God of grace who specializes not just in second chances, but like a million chances, shows his mercy and kindness to us. I think about if I were to ask a friend of yours or a family member of yours, what is this person like? What are they filled with? It'd be interesting to know the response that your friend would say, oh, she is filled with this. He is filled with this. But when you ask the question, what is God filled with? What is he abound in? The answer is he abounds in steadfast love and mercy. This is just he overflows. It's too much. It's too much. He's just filled with love and mercy. So if you've experienced that, you've experienced something that God is just absolutely full of. His love and his mercy move toward, toward Isaiah. God initiates a a display to Isaiah who's unclean, a display of his grace. The one on the throne moves toward him with the seraphim. God reaches Isaiah with the exact help he needs. God speaks. And when God speaks, there's this new reality. So when God says, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for, it's like full stop. That's absolutely true. God said it and it's done. How powerful is this? As I lingered on this story, it's like when I read these verses again, it's kind of one of those things where you recognize someone like, I've seen them before. I know that picture. Or you hear some music like, I know that song. I'm trying to remember. Like, what? When I read this passage, so much of it brings memories to me when I think of the person that is high and lifted up. It brings memories to me. This scene, even as it unfolds, I'm just reminded of Jesus Christ, who although he was in the form of God, did not think equality with God was something to be exploited, taken advantage of. I, I think of Jesus Christ in all his glory, even before he comes to this earth, the one who holds the world together. I mean, I know this song. I, I, I know this picture. I know this one who is high and lifted up. But then I read of the kind of the development of the scene. I, and I, I read of Isaiah saying, I'm, I'm unclean. I'm not worthy. I deserve to be forsaken by God. Woe is me. I'm like, I, I know someone who 
also identified with Isaiah's condition. But the fact is, as Jesus identifies with Isaiah's condition, he is, he is not in and of himself unclean. So Jesus can never say because of his own actions, I'm unclean. I, I've messed up. I'm lost. Jesus can never say that of his own accord. But, but he becomes human. He takes on the likeness of human flesh, sinful flesh. And yet he does it without sinning. But Scripture says he became sin, the one who knew no sin. So he actually takes our uncleanness upon himself. That, that's exactly what we hear on the cross where he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He could even use the words of Isaiah, woe is me. Because I have the sin of those that have unclean lips. I am right in the middle of a world of people with unclean lips. He's taking that upon himself. But then as the scene develops, I also know this picture of the one, like a picture with God and earth and this kind of mediator between God and earth, only the picture isn't just of a seraphim. That's just, that's just like a shadow. The reality is not just that an angel is going to do God's work, but that God comes himself in the flesh and does work that no angel could do. Because what, what he does is eternal. So this image that we have of like a, a coal from the altar touching the lips and then being pronounced unclean, this is just a, a, a snapshot of what's going on at the cross. It's not just angels and seraphim moving toward us. It's Jesus himself who's the display of God's grace to the unclean. None of us match up. None of us walk in here going, in and of my own strength, 100% clean. Nothing to feel bad about, nothing to feel sorry for. None of us. But Jesus, who absolutely was clean, absolutely pure, makes the way for us, comes to this earth fully human, reaches people with exactly the help they need. That's why these words of Jesus are always so encouraging. When we hear, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Or when he tells the, the person that he's just healed, your sins are forgiven. Or when he says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. Or when he says, I am seeking and saving the lost. Or when he says, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. His life and death pay for the cost of all that guilt, all that uncleanness. Because of what we know he did when we're trusting in him, we're united to him. And we hear this pronouncement that's even better than Isaiah 6. Because we know God has done this in person, in the flesh. And we hear that pronouncement, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Do you know that? Do you know that? Have you experienced that? If you haven't, what, what is holding you back? Could, could we have a conversation? Or, or maybe could you just call out to the Lord whatever obstacle is in the way of you believing that God loves you so much that he provided that way for you to be restored to him? Could you place your faith in Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is alive. This is a new age where where repentance and forgiveness is being preached. And today, if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. What would hold you back from doing that? This scene reaches such a climax. Look at verse 8. It says, I heard the voice of the Lord, which is significant, right? Because Isaiah hasn't heard God talking yet. But here is the first words that God says in Isaiah 6. A question. Who will I send? Who will go for us? 
God is so committed to sending. People must know about this. How is, it, how is the good news going to advance? Whom will I send? Who's going to go and say that God has done this work of deliverance? And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. Isaiah is eager to go. I'm not surprised when you have a vision like that of God. Isn't this exactly what, what we should be saying? Lord, I don't know what's needed, but here I am. Would you send me? I, I don't know what's next, but here I am. Would you send me? Actually, Isaiah will have a very hard mission. You can read about it the rest of Isaiah 6. It's not an easy mission. It's complicated because Isaiah's mission will be to speak and speak and speak and speak about this holy God who provides cleansing to those that are lost sinners. And the people don't want to hear it. And he tells them again, and the people don't want to hear it. And he tells them again, and the people don't want to hear it. I love how Acts takes this portion of Isaiah 6 and says, although there were some that did not want to hear it, Acts 28 ends like the, the book of Acts, the first advances of the gospel end with, but there are people from every nation who want to hear it. And God's grace will reach them. When I hear, who will I send? Who will go for us? I go, that is what has to be at the heart of our church. That is what has to be at the heart of our church. It's a partnership of going and sending. And we're all going to play different roles. We're all going to have our unique callings. But like this is where we come together. It's not just to be a nice spot for people to land on Sunday when they care to go somewhere on a Sunday morning. Like church is so much more. The, the, the thing at stake of this vision of who God is, that's, that's way too important. Way too important for us to play games. Way too important for us to just kind of rearrange a few things and, and not really take this seriously. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's why regularly when you come into this gathering, you're going to hear us sing about Jesus. And, and that's why even before you came today, I prayed that you would have an aha moment if you've not yet trusted in Jesus, that something might turn on, like a light turned on for you so that you would understand, okay, this is really who God is. And I've never really thought about it that way. And this is really, this is really who I am. And I've never really considered myself that way. And this is really what God has done in showing his mercy and his grace to me. What can you do? Well, if God has taken the initiative to show you grace, can you just respond? Can you believe? Can you turn from everything else? Could you trust in him? Jesus cried out in John 12 saying, whoever believes in me doesn't just believe in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me is actually seeing the one who sent me. I've come into the world as light, and whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I desire that nobody here today remain in darkness. I desire that nobody kind of within the influence of our church would remain in darkness, but that you would believe in Jesus. I want your life to be forever changed. I want you to walk for the rest of your days on this earth with a holy one. Holy, holy is the Lord God who loved you so much that he came to this earth for you. I want you to be part of his people. I want nothing to ever be the same for you. I want your life to be changed. And some of it will come immediate and some of it will be a lifetime. 
I want you to be ready to meet this God, not with excuses or procrastination, but with saying, when I heard that vision, when I heard the description of what Isaiah saw, I said, Lord, save me. I put all my faith in him. You could pray to receive Jesus today. You could take your first steps of faith today. You could talk with someone today about that after the service. What would keep you from doing that? In just a few moments, we're going to put our voices with the voices that are already going on, that have been going on since eternity past, saying, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're going to put our voice with that. And we're going to recognize that the earth is filled with his glory. But before we do that, can we just take a moment and be still and know that he is God? Can we do that? Father, I pray we be captured by this vision and for those who would like to maybe even change the channel right now because you're working on them, like to think about something else. I pray that your spirit would speak and speak and speak and soften and humble. I pray that all over our church there would be the same spirit that Isaiah had I'm unclean. What can we do? And I pray that we would receive again your grace that comes to us in Jesus Christ. And I pray that we'd be captured by this vision to where we'd say the same thing that Isaiah said, here I am. Holding nothing back. Here I am. Use me to fill this world with your glory. Or do this to make your name great do such a deep work in our lives that it, it just looks different on Monday, different, looks different on Wednesday, looks, a different, looks different a year from now. Lord, do this. Make Jesus known and treasured and loved through our lives. We ask it in his name. Amen.